Hey, welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. You can learn more about Youth Pastor Theologian online at youthpastortheologian.com or find us on social media at Youth Theologian. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation about practicing theology and youth ministry. Here in our online studio with my friend Chris Talbot. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Chris is the program director of youth and families at Welch College, He's the youth pastor at Sylvan Park Church in Nashville. And uh, Chris was our podcast guest number one. In the YPT podcast, um, our conversations back from a couple of years ago are uh, part of what sparked Youth Pastor Theologian into existence from the very beginning. So, um, Chris, thanks so much for your friendship. Thanks for your partnership in, in ministry and uh, for your your impact in Youth Pastor Theologian too. Yeah, thanks, Mike, and and I just appreciate so much what you're doing and. Uh, the ministry of of YPT and and all that's going with it. So so thank you for for what you're doing. I appreciate it. Um, so Chris, uh, let's jump into uh, what kind of teenager was Chris Talbot. So what sort of things were you into? Uh, who did you hang with? What kind of youth group kid would you have been? Oh man. Um... You know, it, this is probably one of those things where you like you had a perception of yourself, and then <laughs> if you could go back and look at yourself, it might have looked different. Um, yeah. But in in high school, and so we're talking like mid two thousands, early two thousands. I uh, I had hair down to my shoulders. Um, yeah, I wore like <laughs> I wore aviator sunglasses like everywhere, you know. <laughs> and I uh-huh. I, I worked for, I worked for PacSun and Wendy's um, both at the same time, so I worked a decent amount. But I um and and I think this is a good thing. I I hung out with like everybody at my high school. So like I was hanging out like on weekends with kids that played like Dungeons and Dragons. I hung out with I was on the soccer team. I was in the marching band. Um, so I, I didn't you know I, I hear people talk about like being part of cliques and all that uh, a decent amount. I, I never really experienced that. I just kind of felt like I was hanging out with everybody. Um, I wasn't really extroverted, uh, but I did find myself like befriending kind of a, a, a wide range of people. Yeah. So you yeah. were a floater, huh? I was a floater. Yeah, I, I guess that's probably the best yeah. way to to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What were there times when that ever created a sense of like, so who am I, or was it just like a natural kind of flowing from one group to the next? Yeah. I, I probably wasn't self-aware enough to ask the question of who am I? You know? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I remember going off to college and probably thinking more about that question like later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in high school, it was more like, hey, if these people want to be friends, I'll be friends with them. And I just didn't really think much about it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, my one of my first One of my first jobs in high school was also... Working at Wendy's, so hey, hey. yeah, alumni, yeah, <laughs> Wendy's alumni unite, yeah, yeah, yeah. here we go. Yeah. 
We'll meet um, up at the annual meeting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I wasn't invited to that. Yeah. Oh man, I feel so left out now. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, so in in this po- podcast episode, we're talking about uh, one of the most common theological debates among Christian college students: um, the whole Calvinism and Arminianism discussion. And uh, some people act like it's a question that determines whether or not you're even a Christian. Other people just brush it off like it's just stupid and inconsequential and doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, We think that it is an important conversation. Um, It does have impacts on us as Christians and as believers, especially as youth workers and the way that we um, address scripture, the way we teach, the way we um, pursue evangelism, discipleship. but it's important for us to uh, to think about the topic in ways that still acknowledge uh, Calvinists, Arminians, yeah. you're both Christians, um, that yeah. we can share and partner together uh, for the sake of the Great Commission. And so, yeah, uh, could you just share a little bit um, about your... Uh, I don't. I don't know how to how to phrase it. Your your approach, your distinctiveness. Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about your denominational theological background coming into the conversation. Yeah, um, and, and this is probably like one of our early conversations. I think. Yeah. So my denomination. Uh, I am Free Will Baptist. I I started attending a Free Will Baptist church when I was a teenager. That was the youth group that I, I became part of. I went to for college Welch College, which is. Uh, the Free Will Baptist College. It's owned by our denomination. Um, and in our theological tradition, if you want to call it that, is what we refer to as Reformed Arminianism. Um, and so, again, kind of one of the early conversations you and I had as we were becoming friends was realizing, like, you're a Calvinist, I'm an Arminian, you know, like, can we still be friends? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that, that type of conversation. Still open to and, discussion. We'll see how yeah, this yeah, goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I always kind of found myself, even as I was going through uh, college and reading books, like I, I shared so much with my Calvinist brothers. Like I, I read these books about the supremacy of Christ and, um, you know, the providence of God and uh, just these rich theological works that were coming out like in the, the late 2000s, early 2010s and all that. Um, and I found myself ag- agreeing with a lot of it and at the same time holding my theological distinctives as well. And so there was a lot of like, I agree, but also, you know, disagree with a little bit too. Um, and kind of having a, a little bit of a distance there. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, you, you call yourself a, a reformed Arminian. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure that you get some really incredible <laughs> nonverbals. <laughs> when you tell people yeah. that. Uh, so yeah. uh, could you humor us a little bit with what are some of the funniest responses you've gotten to that? Um, and then could you share a, a little bit more about what what is Reformed Arminianism? Yeah, yeah. So I think anytime I've talked to somebody that wasn't aware of Reformed Arminianism, um, especially if they came from like a Calvinistic tradition, immediately their their first question is, what is that, you know, or that doesn't <laughs> exist, you know. Um, I, I remember uh, one time I was at a, a youth ministry conference that, you know, was a little more theologically minded, and, and it leaned more Calvinistic. 
And uh, I think kind of through like the way of conversation, it came out that I was an Arminian and that I was a Free Will Baptist. And, and I even had a guy, he, he was sitting there listening and he looked at me and said, why are you here? And, and I said, well... <laughs> You're not said, one well, of us. Yeah, I, <laughs> I said, well, I love the gospel, you know, and I, I guess I took care of that. But um, yeah, it's usually kind of met with like a a questioning brow, you know, sometimes with yeah. a little bit of animosity, although I think mostly that's, that's kind of gone by the wayside. Um, to the question of what is it, uh, mm-hmm. it is not an oxymoron, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, um, yep. it, it, it is essentially this. Uh, I the, probably the best way to articulate Reformed Arminianism is saying that we believe that Arminius and Ar- Arminianism, at least of our tradition, is in line with Reformed thinking rather than a departure from it. Um, so we think of Arminius as a Reformer, not as somebody that, that moved away from the Reformers. And so, although we disagree with Calvin, we kind of want to see Arminius and Calvin as like partners in Reform rather okay. than you know, people against each other. Yeah. And and there's some distinctives. I mean, we would hold to like the five solas, you know, I'm all for, you know, (laughs) those basic reform tenets Mm -hmm. of sola gratia, sola fide, so on. Um, We believe in total depravity. Um, It's kind of when you get into some of the particulars, like we we do hold to the possibility possibility of apostasy, Um, you know, reading Hebrews chapter six. Um, We, uh, you know, we would kind of work through like the TULIP acronym for however healthful or unhelpful we find that to be. Yeah, uh, There'd be places where we'd push back against that. But again, I think I would want to say that Reformed Arminianism and Calvinism or uh, maybe a moderate Calvinism are much closer together um, than they are apart. Okay. So uh, let's dig into that in a minute. But first, yeah. can you just give a, a real basic overview of the Calvinism and Arminianism discussion, um, how do both tend to be kind of summarized accurately? Uh, could you just share a little bit about, um, for, for our listeners who um, are kind of familiar with the discussion, but are kind of like, yeah, I, I'm still not really following what's the big deal. Yeah. So h- how is this often presented? Sure. I mean, I, I think the majority of the argument is on the topic of salvation, um, or what theologians want to refer to as like soteriology, right? Um, it's the process by which someone gets saved, um, or the order of salvation. I mean, all, all the stuff that's kind of wrapped up into that. Mm-hmm. I think what yep. also makes this conversation more difficult, uh, and we, we can talk about this a little bit if you want, is there's just a lot of different flavors of Arminians and Calvinists. You have mm-hmm. Wesleyan Arminians, you have Reformed Arminians, you have Classical Arminians, you have Moderate Calvinists, you have Hyper Calvinists. You know, like so. Part of the difficulty is just trying to figure out exactly what we're what we're talking about. You know, right? Um, I, I think, I think from an Arminian perspective, we're, we're just simply saying that um, from a Reformed Arminian perspective, we're, we're not saying that uh, a person just has absolute freedom outside of the work of the Spirit to choose God. Um, that's that's not like in our theology uh, textbooks. Um, we would say that the Spirit indeed has to offer provenient grace to soften the heart and the mind of the individual and by belief in the gospel that they can then uh, then be saved. So there is the, the idea of like total depravity there. 
Um, I think some of it gets into like the question of like, the, does God choose you or have you chosen God? That's kind of like one of those yep. real basic, yep. maybe oversimplified, I don't know, questions. Um, and so it kind of gets into the details there. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I, I don't want to like misrepresent like Calvinists on this. I think, I think Calvinists generally place a really high emphasis on the providence of God, um, that God yep. is the one that's in control. Um, that he's the one that's like in charge. And so uh, oftentimes what follows from that is the idea that God has elected individuals um, unconditionally, right? Not conditional on their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mm-hmm. chosen them uh, to become uh, to become believers. And, and a Calvinist would say, once God has chosen somebody, uh, which in that comes faith and regeneration, right? That they cannot then depart from the faith, right? Yeah. That they're they're saved and they they persevere to the end. Yep. Yeah. 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 I I I would say that's accurate. I think um, the way that uh, you know, so I grew up um, in a non-denominational church and um, grew up very much um, Arminian. Um, the first time I ever heard about John Calvin was in my public high school, uh, where the teacher said that. Uh, there were Christians who followed John Calvin who believe that God just chooses who's a Christian and who isn't, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. And I was like, well, that sounds terrible. Why would any <laughs> Christian believe that? So I was like, I hate that guy. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> went to went to college, <laughs> uh, studied biblical theological studies. And then I read my Bible and realized he was right. No, just kidding. Um, so, uh, but then uh, the I'm more I read, flashbacks here. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just modeling how the discussion often goes. Um, no, but like as I started reading more, I was like, oh, like the Bible does talk a lot about sovereignty. Like mm-hmm. the, the Bible uses the word election a lot. It's not just the ESV, although I do think that's a bit biased. Um, but like the. The Bible talks about these things. So how do we make sense of this? And yet at the same time, the Bible talks a lot about free will. And the Bible talks a lot about choosing. The Bible talks a lot about our responsibility and what we're called to do. Um, and so, uh, it, yeah, it gets... Um, I get frustrated. And more than frustrated, I get really concerned sometimes by the way that some younger youth workers can talk about the free will and sovereignty discussion um, as if the other group is automatically heretical. Mm. Um, I do think that hermeneutics, the way we read and interpret scripture, is formative for how we understand these conversations, that maybe that's a a good future podcast episode too, and to, to talk about different hermeneutical methods and approaches. Mm. Um, but it's not a matter of who is who takes the Bible seriously and who doesn't. Um, it's not a matter of who is a good Christian and who doesn't. Um, I think that there, there are hyper-Calvinists who so rely on the sovereignty of God that people really have nothing to do. And there are Pelagians who mm. um, believe so much in human free will uh, and freedom that God's sovereignty is basically empty, right? right so, right. what what are some stereotypes? Um, so, if I'm I'm laying my cards out right there, right? So, 
Um, Could you just share a little bit of of your cards and just um, what have you heard about the way that people engage these conversations, maybe from your side, um, that that are just sometimes a little bit concerning and saying, yeah, I don't think we need to have the conversation that way. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I think caricatures exist on both sides. And I think oftentimes, um, Arminians of, of whatever flavor are often um, depicted as Pelagians, like you said, yep. that like yep. that God's not really even involved in like the salvation process, that you can just choose kind of to be be saved without the work of the Spirit and so on, which I think goes against the, the even the writings of Arminius himself and uh, and so many others as well. And and by the way, like I, I think a lot of these caricatures aren't just in the pews. I think they show up even like in in published books as well, oh, yeah. which I think oh, is, is really unhelpful. Um, yep. I think um, you know, as I'm thinking from like an Armenian perspective towards Calvinists, uh, and and I run the, into this probably even a little bit with my own students here at Welch. Um, there can be a tendency to think that all Calvinists are like hyper Calvinists. Yeah. Um, that that God is like essentially the author of evil. Right. Um, that you have like this double predestination. God is intentionally sending people to hell. Um, that it's such a focus on the providence um, and God's sovereignty that like people become absolutely, they're robots, you know, like there, there is no human free will whatsoever, um, which I think goes against the, the writings of Calvin yeah. and Luther and others, right? Like yeah. that, that doesn't sound like that at all. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's where we fall into the uh, the negativity bias, right? Like mm-hmm. when you hear something that is um, just really alarming <laughs> that you think, what yeah. the heck? That's yeah. what you hear. <laughs> and so then um, it confirms what you are afraid of in the people who mm-hmm. you disagree with. So right. um, when a Calvinist hears an Arminian saying something about free will, uh, yeah. it, it's easy to kind of overinterpret that in a kind of Pelagian God's sure. sovereignty. God has short arms, right? And he cannot yeah. actually save uh, mm-hmm. kind of way. And, and this other side is what, when, you know, an Arminian hears a, a Calvinist talking about God's sovereignty over evil yeah. and over suffering. And it's like, ah, see, like God's the author of evil. Like, what the heck? Like, the Bible says so clearly God is not the author of evil. Right. So, like, um, I just think we need to actually hear what the other person is saying, (laughs) not overinterpret what we yeah, what what we're concerned they might be saying. Sure, sure. And 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 I think, unfortunately, there's people, if you want to use the term of like sides, there's even people on our sides that seem to like fit the caricature too. Yeah. And, oh, and totally. you just want to say, hey, yep. like, you're not helping us. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> we're trying to like meet in the middle here and you're, you're yeah. giving, giving into this kind of uh, stereotype. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the, the, from my side of things is like, you know, the, the cage stage Calvinists. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like, when most of these discussions take place on college campuses and the whole cage stage Calvinist thing, that's when it usually happens when someone's newly converted to Calvinism Mm -hmm. and they're so ardent about it. It's like they're an evangelist for Calvinism more than 
they're an evangelist for the gospel. It's like, just put them in a cage, let them calm down (laughs) and mature a little bit, and then we can let them out. But a lot of those conversations happen when young adults are kind of immature and overly confident about their theological Mm -hmm. opinions. And I'm sure that's true on both sides of the conversation. Um, And then we kind of just learn to avoid the debate because we don't want to debate. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're exactly right. I I think there's a hard balance to be had here. Um, To your point, I think there are plenty that they, they just kind of, they treat Christianity synonymous with whatever their theological framework is, right? Um, yeah. I, I fully intend to meet a lot of Calvinists, like in in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I um I I I count Calvinists and and Wesleyans and others as, as like Christian brothers and sisters, you know. Right. But when when we yeah. make that mistake of thinking like my my particular framework or my you know the, the people that I, I surround myself with, like we have like the corner on this, it becomes difficult. But like the the opposite error is what you're talking about to where like we then don't talk about these things at all. Right. And so some like healthy balance I think is is helpful to discuss it but not hold it so like tightly mm-hmm. that we think this is the only way. Yeah. Okay. All right, so that's that gets us to the next question is why does this matter? Right? Like th- is this theological difference uh just a a, a debate from ages and eons ago mm-hmm. or like why is this theological difference important for youth workers today? Yeah. I think a motto that I have and that you probably have repeated many times yourself is that theology drives methodology, or mm-hmm. at least it should, right? Like sometimes yep. we we get that backwards. We let our methodology drive our theology. And so regardless of like what your denomination or your theological tradition is, like what you believe and your theological convictions inevitably have some type of effect on the way you do things, right? Yeah. So as a Reformed Arminian and in all the different components and parts that make that up, that should have a direct impact on the way that I do evangelism um, and the, in the way that I do discipleship as well. You know, uh, if I think that um, someone can uh, believe in God conditional on their faith with as the, the softening of the spirit um, that allows them to do so, well, I'm, I'm trying to like follow the means of grace to, to see that that happens. But also, if I think apostasy is a very real thing and not like a hypothetical, well, that certainly affects the way in which I do discipleship as well, right? I want yeah. to present believers mature in Christ in order that they will persevere to the end and not yeah. fall by the wayside. Yeah. Um, so sometimes people can make this like a, a a false dichotomy between evangelism and discipleship and um, well, I'm just going to focus on evangelism and um, uh, the, the whole, like, I'm, I'm going to evangelize like an Arminian and disciple like a Calvinist. Um, oh, what, yeah. <laughs> what, what response do you have uh, to that type of approach? Well, I think everyone should evangelize like an Arminian, but <laughs> um, I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's a false dichotomy. I think this idea that like, y- this is like the thing that we're always trying to fight against, right? Is that you have theology over here and then like practical ministry over here. And I don't think that they need to be separated. Like healthy evangelism grows out of like a healthy biblical theology, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing my Bible well, knowing how that fits into like a bigger theological framework is important. 
and it has direct impact on the way that I I practice these spiritual disciplines and evangelize uh, the lost. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think too, like for for the whole evangelism, like a, a many of things, like as a Calvinist, I just think like Calvinists should evangelize with confidence that it's not up to you to have the perfect gospel presentation. Mm, right? Like, yeah. it, and I think Arminians would agree with that too. So that, that, that's not me yeah. throwing shade. Um, sure. But sure. it's like, <laughs> it's like we do ministry and we call for the lost to confess their faith in Christ and to place um, themselves in, in the Lord's hands because we trust that God is sovereignly drawing them. Like yeah. we evangelize because of our confidence in the sovereignty of God um, yeah. and that he has people that he has chosen from among all people, tribes, and nations. So cast the net wide and scatter mm-hmm. the seed everywhere and the Lord will catch those who he has called and he will um, cause roots to sprout where he has fertilized. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes I, I, I do get a, a bit frustrated with that dichotomy. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, theology drives methodology. Um, yeah. You know, so y- your your soteriology will affect the way you do evangelism yeah. and, and discipleship. And I think sometimes we just don't really make, sometimes we're just not very good theologians. <laughs> oh, I sure. Guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What are some practical ways that you've seen youth pastors, soteriology, and their uh, theological understanding of the, the Calvinist-Arminian debate? Uh, what are some ways that you've seen that trickle down and impact their day-to-day ministry to teenagers? Yeah. Yeah, again, I, th- I think it has to do with having a high view of the gospel, a high view of God, um, having a, a picture of the supremacy of Christ like in, in our lives. And that, that can exist in both a Calvinist view, um, a Calvinist uh, theology or an Arminian theology, uh, but it has direct implications for the way that we do things. And so um, we, we think that the gospel is beautiful uh, and that then turns into being successful and good evangelists. I, I think the best way that we can encourage teenagers to be good evangelists and good disciple makers and good disciples, period, is trying to give them a, uh, a robust and a strong view of what it means for God to save people. Um, now, we, again, we can have disagreements on this. We're not conflating like Arminianism and Calvinism. Um, but the more we can communicate to teenagers like a beautiful picture of what it means for God to save individuals um, and do that theologically, but in a really profound and beautiful way, I think that that inevitably leads to them having a desire to see others um, be saved by the same loving God, uh, the same God that has saved them and saved others, um, and to see that happen in the future. Yeah, amen. Um, and so one of one of my goals um, in this conversation um, was to try to uh, demonstrate that a Calvinist and an Arminian um, can have conversations about this and still be friends at the end. Yeah. Um, and to also acknowledge um, not every Calvinist is some wrath-spitting um, 
hellfire and brimstone person and, and not every armenian is charles finney um right mm, yeah. but like <laughs> we we have far more in common you and i in mm. what we believe about god's sovereignty and about human freedom and responsibility we agree yeah. far more than we disagree yeah. um and i just wonder how often is that the case but we don't know because we just make assumptions about yeah, people yeah. who kind of identify with the other tribe and camp. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I guess my, my closing question is, uh, what suggestions do you have for how youth workers from you know, the different tribes uh, can partner together? Are, are there things that you think we could do together um, in ministry? And are there things that you think, well, you know, we, we could still encourage each other, we could still support each other in ministry, but maybe we can't do X or Y or Z uh, in collaboration yeah. without some kind of trickiness and confusion. Um, how, how do you parse yeah. out that that partnership, where to draw lines, not because I do it right and you do it wrong or vice versa, but right. it might just get a little bit muddy, right? So like just yeah. the practical partnership piece could you just kind of close us with some thoughts and ideas about that yeah no i think um i think this is a question of like theological triage you know like how much you can yeah. do with like a, a particular individual i you know i don't think these are the type of issues that separate us as like one is a believer and one's an unbeliever you know our, our views here doesn't put one of us outside like the christian camp and yep. one of us inside right um but it does probably um, necessitate that we like worship in like different churches and, and different denominations, you know, like because of, because of confession statements of, of belief and, and so on. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's perfectly fine. I think then that means that when you're talking about discipling people, like in the local church, you're, you're going to have some differences, but in as much as you're trying to reach teenagers, like in your community and seeing teenagers become believers, I think you can walk like hand in hand, arm in arm with others, so long as they hold to like the fundamentals of the faith, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, maybe to kind of go back to like a, an earlier point, back when some of this uh, Calvinist Armenian questions were, were maybe a little bit bigger, like with uh, the, the rise of like the gospel coalition and things like that, I often yeah. found myself thinking like, we, you know, we, we, we weren't as reformed Armenians part of like the bigger camp, like we weren't Calvinists. And I, but I always wanted to play ball, you know? <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. I was always wondering, like, why, why can't, as, as a Orthodox, Bible-believing, you know, uh, Trinitarian-believing Christian, like, uh, why, you know, why can't we be invited to the, uh, to the party? Yeah. Um, and I think the answer is, like, we can be. And, and we yep. should do vice versa. Like, we can, we can work together uh, to accomplish these, these gospel tasks in order to see people saved. I love that. Um, and so here I am, right? A Calvinistic Baptist, and here you are, a reformed Arminian. And, um, you know, I, I, I founded and am the director of Youth Pastor Theologian, but um, our roots very much uh, as Youth Pastor Theologian, um, you were instrumental in that. Mm -hmm. And that's not lost on me. And so I think it's really important for us to, um, embrace uh, that that YPT is not a denomination 
Um, mm-hmm. we, we aren't going to draw dividing lines over <laughs> um, the Calvinist-Arminian debate. We will draw dividing lines over just sound biblical doctrine, like the essentials of, of the gospel, the um, yeah. the tr- historic church creeds, and um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so it it is important to to know what are those things that are worth dividing over and what are those things that are not. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really thankful for you. Um, I'm thankful for the Calvinistic youth workers out there who listen. And I'm thankful for the Arminian uh, faithful youth workers who are out there listening. And um, I hope that we can have room um, at the table for some healthy dialogue um, mm. about about what we have in common and about the differences too. So, yeah, I just want to thank you for your friendship. Uh, thanks for your ministry. Um, uh, do you want to just share any uh, last-minute resources or um, what books would you encourage someone who's curious about Reformed Arminianism to uh, go and read? Are there any oh, possible dude. recent publications about yeah. such things that you would recommend? Yeah. No, there are. Um, our college president just wrote the 40 questions through Kregel, uh, the 40 questions uh, on Arminianism. And to me, is this a really, really helpful resource of like, you have certain questions about what you perceive Arminianism to be. This is a really good spot to, to check it out. Um, there's other books too. There's a book called The Promise of Arminian Theology. Um, I wrote a chapter for, uh, this is maybe about six years ago now, uh, a book called Quest for Truth by Leroy Forlans, Grace, Faith, Free Will by Robert, Robert Piccarelli. Um, I could name another dozen or so, but I'll, I'll leave it with those four. I think those are um, some really good resources. All right. And you recently came up with a new book, correct? Yeah. So we have a book releasing, I think, in August. Um, it's a work kind of our, of our faculty here at Welch College called Christians and Culture. Um, and so it's kind of a cultural engagement. How, through a Christian worldview, can you engage with the culture around you? Awesome. And where could people pick that up and pre-order? Yeah, so you can pre-order it on Amazon, uh, as well as Welch, uh, welch.edu slash press. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate you. And uh, listeners, thanks for checking in. Thanks for following along with Youth Pastor Theologian. Uh, make sure that you hop on youthpastortheologian.com and subscribe there. Uh, that'll make sure that you get all of our new content delivered to your inbox. It'll also give you access to Youth Pastor Theologian's ebook. Um, we just want to help youth workers to think theologically about uh, the way that they're ministering to students, and the ebook will help you kind of get a, a good portrait of what Youth Pastor Theologian is all about. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Please visit youthpastortheologian.com to learn more about our resources. You can find us on social media at Youth Theologian. We also have an active Facebook group where you can ask questions, share articles, and generally encourage fellow youth pastor theologians who are in the trenches with you. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, leave a review, or even recommend this podcast to fellow youth workers. You can also subscribe to get new articles delivered to your inbox and to ensure that you don't miss any fresh content by checking out our website at youthpastortheologian.com. Most of all, we appreciate your ministry and your partnership in the gospel. 
if there's a topic that you'd like us to address, or if you have an article to submit for the blog, then you can also share those on our website by following the submissions tab. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll see you next week.